I was waiting for that moment when people realize that Pastor Zach isn't here and I'm preaching. I was waiting for the big, oh, and I didn't hear it, so I guess that encourages me. Okay, so I'm going to be honest a little bit here as we, as we start this. So I did not prepare this sermon like I've prepared sermons in the past. I love opportunities to preach. I feel like to a degree it's, it's something that the, the Lord has given me as a gift. Um, I'm maybe not quite as charismatic as Zach is at times, but, but I, I enjoy teaching. I like teaching the Word. I like instruction. Um, and so normally I spend a lot of time preparing, and I had full intentions of doing that. I love the book of James, so I was going to prepare this message to uh, continue in the book of James from where we left off last week, which is what I intend to do. But um, I'll admit that um, my preparations didn't quite go as planned because um, we had a week of turmoil in, in my family. And I think we probably can all um, be, I think we're all familiar with that. We live in a world that that is tough and we're surrounded by uh, sin, it's a fallen world, and, and uh, it, it happened to be turmoil in the life of a family member, which made it even worse, because here I am preparing the sermon on trials, and my whole week was a week of trials, and I'm, prepare- and I'm thinking of talking about this sibling relationship between James and Jesus, and here it's a sibling of mine who's going through turmoil, and I didn't think I don't think, given the way this week went, I didn't prepare the way I wanted to, and I don't know if I can stand up here and talk about my relationship with my brothers without breaking down. So I might not delve very deep into that today. Um, but and and so this this is a message that um, I didn't quite prepare like I have in the past, but I still feel like this is a very relevant message. I've always felt like the Book of James is just an awesome book that if, if there's anyone, regardless of where they're at in their walk, it's, it's a good book because it's just so relevant. So uh, we left off last week um, around verse 9, so that's where I'm going to pick up, but I'm going to just kind of review what we've gone through up to this point. So book, the book of James is really like a unique insight into the life of Jesus, it, the way I look at it is this kind of like a fly-on-the-wall view. Um, if, if you could be a fly-on-the-wall in someone's home during supper time, for example, when everyone's around the table, you really can get some unique insight on what they are like and what their family dynamics are like. So what do we know about James? He's an apostle and a brother to Jesus. Um, he spent a lot of time with Jesus, in other words. Um, if, so if you really want to get a look at what I'm really like in my life, watch how I act when I'm with my brothers. We have a history together. We've been through things together. We've lived in the same home. We know each other. James knows Jesus, and that's why this book is so awesome. If you really want to get some insight on what Jesus is like, read what James wrote. So like I said, it's one of those books that I'd recommend to anyone at any point in their faith because it's relatable and it's relevant. It resonates with us. I think 
that family was probably a pretty typical rural family, which is even another reason that we can really relate to this story. Everything that James writes about probably indicates a little more about their family. Things that are close to his heart, things he's learned in the school of hard knocks, basically. So we started reading through James a few weeks ago, um, and out of the gate, he started talking about trials. That was the very first thing. If you look at the very first verse, he said, trials will come. It's a certainty. So if you think about it, James lived this life. Of, he had this life of experiences, and he felt compelled to write about it. So what, what caused him to start writing about trials, of all things? You could, if any of us uh, set out to write a book about wisdom that we think we have from the experiences in life, we probably all would start, we have to start somewhere. What would we start out with? What's that thing that is on the top of our mind that's closest to our heart? And for James, he started talking about trials. So does that, does that seem random? Or is it something that was really important to him? So what we've learned so far from James up to this point is Joy comes from trials. Trials test our faith. Faith develops perseverance. Then comes wisdom. And then comes stability. And that's kind of the progression of faith. But you don't get any of that. You don't have that solid foundation without trials. It is absolutely impossible. So that's what in today's scripture... James, let me back up. Um, so that's what. James has been talking about what. So now today, in today's scripture, James is going to talk about how. It may also be some insight into the social status of their family. So um, we're going to start reading James chapter 1, start in verse 9 and go through verse 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So there's a couple words there that as we read that, they're going to stick out to us, and, and it's easy to really get hung up on them. And I think, I think it's, it's, it's just it's human nature. So we're, people are going to have the tendency to get stuck on rich and poor, and, and that word rich. And so I think it's important to ask, what is this scripture not saying? It's not saying it's bad to be rich. I think we have to understand that. From the start, it's easy to read this at face value and conclude that this is talking about rich versus poor. And it's a, it's our human nature to do that. Uh, we want to categorize things. It's easy to mistake this scripture as a social issue, which 
right now it seems like society is ultra focused on social issues, social justice, social security, social media, even a push for socialism. These are all things that are rooted, they start out with good intentions, but they're all things that miss the mark. Let me explain that a little more. The reason that these topics that I stated, social justice, social security, whatever it is, all these socially focused things, the reason these topics are always surrounded by contention is because they're aiming at the wrong target. This is not a social issue. What James is referencing here, what James is urging us to see, what he's teaching us out of his experience in life is that this is not a social issue. It's a spiritual issue. We live in a world that is enthralled by affluence. An affluent person has money, recognition, knowledge. That person will receive, will, will receive highest classification because of those things. And then everyone else who doesn't have those things will fall somewhere lower on this spectrum. That, and, but we classify everybody. So James is addressing the fact that we're misguided by affluence. So really, what we need to do is recognize that there are really only two classes of people. So let's not get hung up on the rich and poor thing. There's two classes of people, godly and ungodly. So there can be rich people and poor people who are godly. There can be rich people and poor people who are ungodly. Godly people will say, I don't have much, but it's plenty. Or godly people will say, I've been blessed with much, so I'll give out of my plenty. Ungodly people will say, I don't have much, woe is me. Or ungodly people will say, I have much, look at me. It's not about money. It's not about materials. It's about heart. Let's go back into James chapter 1. Now we'll read verses 12 through 14. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. That's a word that we... We heard last week in Pastor Zach's sermon, steadfast and trial. So we're, we're still focused on trials. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it, it, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So there, again, James is talking about trials. So he keeps bringing that up. But now he's kind of tying everything together. So a few weeks ago, we learned that we cannot achieve joy without trials. 
Today we learn that we cannot achieve true richness without trials. Through trials we are blessed. Through trials we inherit the crown of life. It says it right there. So make no mistake, temptations are not from God. We, we covered that last week as well, and we need to remember that. Temptations are not from God. They are from our own desires. When our pursuit is richness, when, when that is our sole pursuit, to become rich, whatever that means for us, when our pursuit is richness, when our desire is affluence, we are subject to temptation. We are leaving ourselves wide open for temptation to move in. When our pursuit is godliness, we are open to receive the gifts of God. The gifts of God are available to us when we are pursuing godliness. So if we go back to, we'll read verses 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So I said, when our pursuit is godliness over richness or over things of the world, we are open to receive the gifts of God. And there, in verse 16, states, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Everything good that we can imagine in life is unattainable, is insecure, is not sustainable if our main pursuit is not godliness. We may see people all around us who seemingly have it all. And their pursuit may be things of this world as opposed to godliness. And those things can be gone like a vapor. And, and we see that. We see people crumble. And, and we see people who go through trials with an exuberant amount of grace because they are not pursuing the riches of the world, but they're pursuing godliness. So this week I came across the story of a man named Joseph. And it's not the Joseph. It's Joseph of Arimathea. And I maybe said that wrong, but it doesn't matter. He's from somewhere, and it's not the Joseph. But it's a really cool story, and we're going to read about him in a couple weeks when we, when we look at Jesus dying on the cross. So Joseph was a rich, powerful man of affluence. He was a member of the ruling council. He had wealth. He had power, prestige. He was a man of influence. Yet he put all of that on the line for Jesus. He risked his reputation by putting his faith into action. He resisted the temptation to do nothing, and he put his desires first. And it's all because he made godliness his only pursuit. Do you know what he did? In Matthew 27, and, and you don't have to turn there, I'll just I'll read it. In Matthew 27, we read, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named 
Joseph, who was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. So here, here's this man that is prestigious, who is respected by everybody. He's probably never had to lift a finger to get things done. He can tell someone to do it and go like that, and it's done. Yet, he is now we see him cutting a tomb into a rock, which I don't even know how you do that. That sounds really hard to do. But he's cutting a tomb into a rock, handling a deceased body, and rolling a large stone over the tomb. This man had everything, but those things did not have him. He was not above anything. He, he gave it up in order to basically put his money where his mouth is. He gave it up to put his faith into action. And that, as we get further into the book of James, that's what the book of James is all about. It's not just about believing. It's about being moved to do something, to put our faith into action. And that's, you know, we, we see that all the time. That, that's the, the job of the church. If we are to be the hands and the feet of Christ, we are to live by what the book of James says, to put our faith into action. And, and one example is the, the Feed the Farmers event that you may or may not have heard of that our church is doing. This is a new idea. We have no idea... Um, what to expect, how it's gonna, how it's gonna turn out. But we, all around us, we see, and and maybe you aren't all aware, but um, farmers right now in Wisconsin are in a point that they haven't been in several generations, and there's a lot of despair in the agricultural community in Wisconsin and in central Wisconsin. Our neighbors are hanging by a thread, and they don't know what they're gonna do. And there's people who have had farms and their family for generations. And here we are, the church, the hands and feet of Christ, and for us to sit and do nothing would be to not put our faith into action. If we practice what we preach, we are going to reach a hand out to these people who are in despair. And so we have this event called Feed the Farmers, Feed Our Farmers, actually. And we are simply going to deliver a meal to farmers in the field during the planting season. And we want to encourage them, and we want them to see that we are the hands and feet of Christ in rural, central Wisconsin. So then that leads us to the question, where are we at today in our pursuits? Are we content, or are we discontent? Do we feel the need to pursue more in life? Are we after things of the world, or is godliness our desire? Perhaps nothing puts this lesson into perspective better than the prayer of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was also a poor woman. Her prayer was this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generation, 
will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I just think that's a really good a good way to end, looking at Mary recognizing that the humble, those who are pursuing godliness, are those who are, will receive the gifts that the Lord has in store for us. And those who are pursuing the riches of the world will end in ruin eventually. So, Lord, today we just thank you that we thank you for your word. We thank you for your instruction. We thank you for your promise that it has nothing to do with the things of the world. It has nothing to do with riches. Lord, please help us to focus on godliness and not all of the things around us, not materials, not recognition, anything else um, but godliness. Help us to achieve Christ-likeness. Make that be our goal. Help us to be the hands and feet of Christ in this world. Help us to be a light for others so others may be drawn to you. And Lord, in a moment we'll take your offering, our offering to you. And we just thank you that you give us the opportunity to worship you through giving. And that's one other opportunity for us to put our faith into action. You are good and you bless us in so many ways more than just financial means. You bless us in so many ways, and, and it's a small way that we can show our gratitude and our devotion to you by giving to you. And so we thank you. We just ask that you bless us as we give. In your name we pray.